Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. Everybody just take a, a deep breath, a collective deep breath. I hope wherever we find you today, you're taking this deep breath with us and relax your forehead. And if anyone has any connections to the Calm app, if you could let them know we're looking for sponsors. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> hey, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> completely unplanned yeah i love it it got me ready I think we just needed without even communicating it we both needed to take a deep breath but i, think, I loved it i think it's because this movie you just gotta like take a deep breath and let out a long sigh it's one of those long sigh movies mm-hmm. and i have not asked jazz anything about this movie yet mm-hmm. because i want it all on the pod mm-hmm. and this is my favorite movie of all time of all time of all time and i've put off this episode for a really long time because I didn't know how I was going to do it. <laughs> I'm so glad we watched it. I'm so glad we watched it too because I had never seen it before because I was putting off watching this movie for a long time because I think I was just afraid of the feels it would make me feel. How are those feels feeling? Good. I'm okay. Like I typically when I am like, oh God, this movie's going to destroy me and then like I'm yeah. fine. Like I'm usually fine. It's when I don't expect it. Sure, sure. And so uh, we're talking about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Did we say that? <laughs> we never knew. Oh, okay. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which you know, you clicked on the episode, but it's right. always That's true. it's always fun to introduce it. I'm Jazz Zapatos, and when I think about what I was doing around 2004, it was a summer, a week-long summer program with the New York Film Academy, and we got to learn how to do filmmaking and like use the little fake sets at Universal Studios to make make our own little short films. Cool. And I had such a big crush on one of the film teachers because I always have crushes on male teachers or any male in in leadership position. Sure. So <laughs> I had such a big crush on him. And then several years later when I was of age, found him on the Facebook and uh made him take me out on a date, which started a Several year long distance love affair. Wow, that's cool. The moral of the story is I always get what I want. And the other reason I bring up that story <laughs> is because he looks a lot like a character in this movie because it's just so. Can 2000s. I guess? Yes. Mark Ruffalo? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's I awesome. I couldn't stop seeing it. <laughs> I've got a crush on Mark Ruffalo in all roles. That's fair. He got he get, just gets better with age. My name is Dan Levine, <laughs> and if I can think of what I was doing in 2004, my favorite band was Third Eye Blind nice. for a very, very long time. And I spent time listening to a song called Wounded over and over because the plays, you could see the number of plays on iTunes, and I wanted the number of plays like in my my individual iTunes to reflect how much I like this song. So sometimes I would just put it on to get some plays in. And this wasn't like the Spotify era where like other people are looking at your shit. Like, Oh, it's not connected to the internet. No. Nobody knew how many plays you had except you. It was purely so you could know. And I, I would used to spend time 
ranking every song because you could star one through five stars and i starred i ranked every song and it took me forever wow we had so much time on our hands back then you could focus on what was important like ranking all of your songs or beating your high score of listening to third eye blind your own high score (laughs) anyway well Let's chat about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which brought me into such a place in time. Like, I can't even tell you. Like, what a freaking time. The early 2000s was like, once we got past like all the millennium bullshit, once things stopped Mm -hmm. being like metallic colored all the time, Mm -hmm. it was like the rise of the indie alternative bands. For sure. I don't know about you, but like motion city soundtrack it was a lot of like jimmy eat world garden state soundtrack is like taking over every emo kid or potential emo kids uh Mm -hmm. listening waves yes we're like in that phase where like everything needed to be like random and like quirky and for sure a little glum too definitely just bleeding hearts everywhere Mm -hmm. but it was like love me for my imperfection which is like kate winslet in this movie is the epitome of like what the Manic Pixie Dream Girl was at that time. For sure. Uh, absolutely. AKA, so annoying, but we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about it. You didn't like Glam? <laughs> yes. Girl, get a fucking grip. But anyway, yeah, we can she's talk losing about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I wonder how Daniel sees her knowing since he like loves this movie and like watched it a long time ago. Because to just see that character now, you're just like, bitch take a pill truly yeah just take a breath yeah get the calm app but we really um, <laughs> calm if you're listening and we know that you are you must be yeah i mean I, I it's it's interesting because it's one of those like i love this movie so much and it, it doesn't have to do with me being in love with kate winslet Good. like i don't even ever really think i really loved the character of clem that yeah. much or clementine yeah but it's about heartbreak yeah and oh oh, oh. yeah we'll get into it okay uh shall we set the scene yes like don't even want to do my usual like announcery voice for this like i want to do my early 2000s like sad girl voice okay hell yeah (laughs) after a painful breakup clementine undergoes a procedure to erase memories of her former boyfriend joel from her mind when joel discovers that clementine's going to extremes to forget their relationship he undergoes the same procedure and slowly begins to forget the woman that he loved. The visually arresting film explores the intricacy of relationships and the pain of loss. I mean, I know this song isn't in this movie, but in my head, new slang was playing right there. Yes. The shins. (laughs) Yeah. Were literally, yes. And I I know exactly why, because around that time, American Eagle released their first CD of like songs they play in the store. Nice. Stores were releasing CDs of songs they play in the store, everybody. Yep. And it like defined my music taste up until probably now, actually, because I'm still, still listening to it. the shins on a regular basis. I love the shins. They're great. So good. <laughs> Zach Graff had like a real stranglehold of the mm. musical tastes of a whole generation. Uh, we're going to chat about the cast in Crow a little bit. Great cast in this film. Love it. Love it, like, love it. More people than I even knew. It was written by Charlie Kaufman, uh, without a doubt one of Hollywood's most iconoclastic and imaginative screenwriters. We know films that he's written, such as Being John Malkovich, Human Nature, Adaptation, Synecdoch. Uh, Synecdoche. 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 
But that doesn't look like that at all. I know. I know. It means when you are using something small to describe something large, like, why don't you go get the wheels and you mean a car? Got it. Say it again. Synecdoche. There's not a T in there. Synecdoche. I don't know. It's Because Schenectady is a place. Schenectady is a place. It's a plant. So it happens in Schenectady, but it's called Synecdoche. Wow. That's so Charlie Kaufman. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Charlie Kaufman's my absolute favorite screenwriter, maybe director ever. Love that. I don't have anything really interesting about the director. Is there anything you want to say about him? Yeah. uh, Michelle Gondry started doing Bjork music videos, did music videos for everybody. Like everyone cool, really. Like the White Stripes, like all these people. Then he made his mark kind of as a really quirky director who used a lot of like in-camera effects. You can kind Mm -hmm. of like tell a Michelle Gondry movie as soon as you see it so he's got like you know be kind rewind eternal sunshine so a lot of that like really weird movement stuff he he Mm -hmm. really likes like stop motion i love Um, it yeah it's so good there's so many things in this movie that you think are special effects and they are in camera camera tricks trapdoors like the craziest shit ever so fucking cool jim carrey was like you know he's always trying to do something like fantastic and that's where he wants to live that's where jim carrey wants to live like in that place where he's constantly trying to do something that is really really difficult the reason people have made it easier is because it's too difficult and it's stupid but he still wants to do it like that but it Mm -hmm. creates this like product where it's like you can see kind of the seams of everything it's not exactly perfect but it's um it's amazing there was like a kind of freeness about this film like the vibe and the style of it was so like you like almost like kind of patchwork feeling the same way that you would think like you know like moving through different parts of the brain right it's like all of these things kind of stitched together memories and and lighting and and oh man i love the effect throughout the whole thing where it's just like basically like spotlights and flashlights and love it Oh my god, this is beautifully done. And that's that's the best part about this movie. It's like no one has ever tried to like visualize how manually eroding and erasing memory would look. Yeah. In doing so, in trying to figure that out, how it's going to look, they're able to like ruminate on memory in general. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you remember something, it's kind of like a spotlight. You don't remember everything, or it's kind of like it's blurry, and maybe sometimes their right. their voices don't like match up with that. So, every choice that they make is trying to accurately explain what memory is and how it would look like if you were to take it apart piece by piece Mm -hmm. i think it was extremely effective so brilliant one of our two leads in this film the role of joel played by jim carrey who's just fucking heartbreakingly good in this movie yeah from the stand-up stages of Canada to the breakout sketch comedy hit in Living Color, award-winning actor Jim Carrey became one of Hollywood's most bankable comedic stars during the 90s. We know him, of course, from Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, Man on the Moon, The Truman Show, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. The list goes on forever and ever and ever. I adore this man. As in- insanely funny as he can be, he also plays parts like this sort of like melancholy introverted Mm -hmm. there's such a nuance to his acting it's like he's so good at being crazy and out there but also so great at being so subtle and oh i just he was so he was so good in this i agree it's it's very much like robin williams to me too yes oh big the reason why they're so funny and like out there is the same reason why they can like tap into that empathetic like really deep shit Mm -hmm. and i'm sure if you were to say okay there's going to be this like heartbreaking movie about memory and it's like jim carrey's lead it's like how is that gonna work yeah but 
Michelle Gondry like told everyone else, you know, you can you can kind of like go with it, like improv and all that stuff. The only person that he didn't allow to improv was Jim Carrey <gasps> because he takes his like relationships with his actors really seriously. He would constantly tell Kate Winslet, brighten up, like act out, act as big as you want. It's a comedy. Yeah. It's not a drama. And then he would turn around and tell Jim Carrey, it's not a comedy. It's a drama. Yeah. And you see that. You see that contrast the entire time. Because if you really let Jim Carrey go, like he would run a it's mile a with it. And yeah. so you can tell it's almost like he's holding he's holding back. He's a little caged. But also like I think that rings true for his character as well, where there's for like sure. something that's stopping him from really letting go. And because you can tell the actors are so free to try things yeah. and to play. And like so much of it feels so organic. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the choices that Michelle Gondry makes are for the benefit of the actors. Like there's specific things. He found out that when he said action, people would like stand like wooden and strict. Mm -hmm. And when he said cut, they would become loose. So he just stopped saying action. It's like, just start when you want and then we'll like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and even like all the, you know, practical effects, it's for the actor's benefit really because it's like I don't want someone to act in front of a green screen. I want them to like feel things disappearing around them or like mm -hmm. because that's the way to get the best performance yeah. out of them. Oof. Moving on, we have the role of Clementine, played by a friend of the pod, Kate Winslet, who we recently <laughs> chatted about uh, in The Holiday. We know her from films such as Titanic. That's it. No, That's Finding Never Finding Neverland, The Reader, Labor Day, The Dressmaker. She was in the Divergent movies. She's in the new Avatar movie. Right. Weirdly. Can't even tell. Weirdly. Yeah. This is her favorite acting performance. She like found what she wanted to do when she did this project. Yeah, I feel like this kind of role is a once in a lifetime type of experience where you mm -hmm. just kind of get to be balls to the wall and like super untamed and her pretty good american accent, accent too i was oh, just gonna nice. say really good american accent pretty i was good. not i was not distracted by it like no, i thought i would be not really we have a really solid supporting cast kirsten dunst who we recently spoke about on our jumanji episode child mm -hmm. actor turned adult actor turned <laughs> as they do Human woman. <laughs> um, we know her from Drafted Gorgeous, Interview with a Vampire, The Virgin Suicide, Spider-Man, Fargo. You name it, she's done it. This is my favorite Kirsten Dunn's performance. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, this is my every every person in this movie is my favorite performance okay. of theirs. So You're biased. Yeah. I am. Um, we've got the freaking handsome, delicious Mark Ruffalo, as we mentioned. Yeah. We know him from movies like Shutter Island, Date Night, The Kids Are All Right. He's the Hulk, obviously. It's goddamn Hulk. 13 going on 30. Who could forget? He did the Thriller Dance, like an absolute champ. I we love, love him. him in this. And thank you for reminding me of my old teacher boyfriend. Thanks for both of you guys, actually. Mark Ruffalo and your old boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Just kudos to all around. Yeah. You guys, you had crazy hair, those thick rim glasses. It's a great look. Thanks for the memories. Mm -hmm. uh, also, we have Elijah Wood, otherwise known as Frodo Baggins. <laughs> that's all I need to say about it. Yes, that's right. The so fucking creepy. It's so great that he wanted to play this role. It's Ew, just so this hateable. fucking role is so gross. Patrick. Patrick. Baby boy. Baby boy. <laughs> yeah. Ew. Everything about what he does is so creepy. 
Yeah. Um, what's the opposite of a baby boy? A super old man. Nice. Brings us to our reviews. <laughs> uh, yeah. Starting with Jessica Winter of Time Out, she writes, This movie works marvel after marvel in expressing the bewildering beauty and existential horror of being trapped inside one's own addled mind and in allegorizing the self-preserving amnesia of a broken but hopeful heart. Which, granted, this review thinks it's better than you. Yeah, for sure. But everything she said is correct. If you take a time to read it a second or third time, it does make a lot of sense. Your good friend Raj is back on the good list. Let's go. He gave this movie four out of four stars. Oh! (laughs) Yes! And we're back, baby! Raj is back! Let's go. He writes, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, like Malkovich, invents a fantastic device for its peculiarities and wisely declines to explain it. All we know is that an obscure company in Boston offers to erase your memories of a particular person or anything else, period. Some viewers have been confused by the film's movement through chronology and locations, but I think the paradoxes are explained if we realize that everything is happening in only one place, Joel's mind. The wisdom in Eternal Sunshine is how it illuminates the way memory interacts with love. We more readily recall pleasure than pain. What Joel and Clementine cling to are those perfect moments when lives seem blessed by heaven and sunshine will fall upon it forever. Raj. He was like really emotional, you could tell, writing this review. Everyone is. It's like poetry. I don't want to fact check Roger because I'm sure he looked into it much more than I did. But I don't know if Lacuna is in Boston. Really? I don't know. I mean... The whole thing takes place in New York. Yeah, you're right. Well, I'm sure he looked into it, but maybe they took the trip there. I don't know. I don't think so. No, you're right. They're going to Montauk. Like, they're just hopping on the train to Montauk. Yeah, they live in Rockville Center. Yeah. I don't know. Raj, you beautiful idiot. <laughs> Stupid adult. Oh, you... <laughs> you think you love this movie, but you have no idea. You don't even know. <laughs> Diving in to our amazon reviews i had to pull some bad ones because please you just know this movie was uh, was a disappointment to all the people that were like jim carrey let's get into it <laughs> right and, right and they were like what this is not funny but listen love's not funny okay <laughs> yeah okay it's kind of sad sometimes our first review reads this was recommended to me looked forward to watching it all day afterward i found that i wanted that portion of my life back on the plus side, I have a very comfortable recliner, and the snacks were tasty. Fair enough. So it wasn't all bad. At the risk of sounding like a douchey like Rick and Morty fan or something, I really do feel like some of the reasons why some people wouldn't like this is because they don't get it. Correct. But I understand. I fully understand how douchey that sounds. But no, it's the truth. I don't know. This is not like a straightforward movie and for me like i knew like very basics of the plot Mm -hmm. but i was looking for clues the whole time yeah which was like really cool and rewarding when they when they were paying off but if you're just gonna like sit and expect this to be like a rom-com like easy watching it's not that no it's not you gotta use your little brain hole for this i went in dry on this movie the first time i saw it and i just didn't get it yeah, super dry, arid. Dry and all teeth. Yeah. Yeah, like a desert shark. <laughs> Is that the thing with the most teeth? Oh, I don't know. I was just yeah. talking about 
I, was making I know. I was trying to make <laughs> bridge that gap a little bit. You're like I was trying to make your joke less disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, but yeah, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. It definitely plays some tricks on you. But I think I, I was expecting it. I was expecting yeah. it to be like kind of out there and weird and like all over the place. So, and this sums it up in the next review titled "For Psych Majors Only." <laughs> Fair. <laughs> a recent review that writes. Finally got around to watching this movie. An annoying example of those type of girls with mental illnesses are hot movies that were Fuck. popular many years ago. Fuck, okay. And I was like, yup. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, fair. And they like call it out too in the film where she's like, I'm not just this concept for you. And it's like, actually, you're a fully conceptual character. Like there's nothing about you is based in reality. Yes. A real human woman that would never say that. No. Until she watched this movie and then like wanted to be that complicated. Oh, that gives me the cringies. (laughs) (laughs) The cringies. Yeah. um, Not wrong. This was a whole era of female characters of just like, you're just never going to get me. You're just along for the ride. The guys are like, but let me save you. Yep. That's that's it. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of a knock on that, but not really because boy, is that effective. I don't know what it is, but like that does it. It's a real thing. And I think it like ruined some dudes because for sure for girls like me who I'm pretty straightforward. Not a clem. I'm a real person, right? And so like for all the guys that then like were over romanticizing women and like right. assigning them weird personalities that they didn't actually have where guys would be like I just like want to figure you out. And I was like, what? I'm not. <laughs> I love that that response. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's like, mm, mysterious. <laughs> she sounds like a duck. <laughs> I've never met anyone like you. And I like have a, half a sandwich hanging out of my mouth. I'm like, what? <laughs> Please don't approach me in this subway sandwiches. I'm just trying to, to take my lunch. I'm not a concept. Or, or on the other hand, when girls are like, really want to not have something to do with that guy and they're just like i just know that like we had there's something here between us and the girl's like no there's not like right there i'm telling you i'm not interested but guys are like this is her like cry for help because she feels like she can't be loved and it's like no no and it's also on that's the other side it's like i'm just kind of a joel type you know i'm quiet and i know that girls are going to approach me and really really like take me out of my shell and it's like that might have never happened for you and probably not yeah you just keep sitting on the train with your journal just like looking around like any minute now the same way in all fairness the same way girls are like if i read this book in a coffee (laughs) shop somebody will think i'm interesting and upside down yeah exactly (laughs) i've read books in places thinking that people would approach me nothing wrong with that we've all been there you're like i just sat down to read now leave me alone <laughs> yeah yeah i'm like what 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 <laughs> he's like ah oh, yes oh, we're Finally, back <laughs> she made me want to be so much more than i was better man <laughs> shall we slide across this frozen lake to the plot yes and a little bit of a departure i'm gonna try to drive i'm i've got my like permit license oh my god daniel's gonna drive we have a little like student driver bumper on the back of this episode baby on board i will have one of those emergency steering wheels just in case things go awry but daniel is gonna take the lead here on the plot So so bear with me giddy up but i'm gonna try Okay. What? What? 
<laughs> I hope you, you, how many times you like interrupt me with that, the lot counter. We need to just put it on the soundboard. <laughs> yeah, yes, I will. Okay, so we open with Joel in his bedroom, throwing off his sheets. Uh, he's waiting at a train platform. Suddenly something comes over him. He runs across to the other platform to just make a train just in time. He winds up on a wintry, seemingly empty beach narration valentine's day 2003 he sees clementine in an orange sweatshirt down the beach does he we don't know that he sees a little bit he t- turns to the right and yeah then but we don't the- know he's it's she's a woman she could be anybody we got i think we've got to do that like you know for when we first see patrick we have to be like well patrick taps on his window okay well, we'll yeah see. no you're yeah it's true unless we're like turns out right blah, blah, blah. so at any rate we're listening to his like narration of his uh journal entry He's at the diner. He sees Clementine at another booth. He's waiting at the train station to go back home. He sees Clementine's orange sweatshirt. She waves. And then they're sitting on the train and they strike up a conversation. Seemingly meeting for the first time, though it seems as though they've met before. They seem familiar to each other. They do. They seem like they are uh, drawn to one another. This is the first of many times when we start to question the validity of this procedure. Or really, mm. it, it's either the validity of this procedure or the power of love, man. Yeah. You know, transcends this procedure. Big time. For sure. They go back to the apartment. They flirt. Is it, are they flirting? Because for me, I was just like, either he's not acting into it because he's really like kind of timid. and He's not good at this. He's clearly not good at this. Or he's just genuinely freaked out by her because she is acting insane. Like She's trying to get it in, definitely. She's trying to get it in, but she's also like, oh, we're getting married. Oh, we're doing something tomorrow. Oh, like blah, blah, blah. They haven't even had sex yet. Like, I feel like in reality, a guy would be like, uh, I gotta go. And like, that's what he does. And in my mind, I was a little bit like, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> she's crazy. It is weird because there's that time where he's like, I gotta go. She's like, please call me. And then she sticks out her head and it's like, wish me a happy Valentine's Day when you call me. And he seems enchanted, but it's like kind of the only the first time that he really seems enchanted by her. The other... He times. seems it's rather like uncomfortable the rest very of the time. Yes. More uncomfortable here than the actual first time that they met, in my mind. Well, there's an up for interpretation there because like the only time that we see the first time we they meet is Joel reliving the memory oh, as okay. You're it's right. not the he's way just, it was. He's already present that he knows it's a memory, so that makes right. sense. Right. He's like talking to her. Well, we'll get, we'll get there. Yeah. Like if I was flirting with a guy like that, I'd be like, oh, all right, he is not into me. Moving on. Yeah, she just destroys those roadblocks, just plows right through him. I don't know if he's just like too boring or too timid to like say no, but he is like clearly like he calls her as soon as he gets home. Opposites attract. I mean, I think that they talk about it a little bit later about the things that they liked about one another at first. You know, mm-hmm. she appreciates Joel as kind of like this down-to-earth, quiet guy that he can kind of like ground her a bit. And then Joel is looking for anything that's going to make his life interesting, which if nothing else, Clementine certainly will. Just like a firecracker. Yeah. The whole time he's just basically talking about how like his life is not that interesting. His life's not that interesting because he erased two years of his life. Right. He has nothing to talk about because like he literally had he a million pages ripped out of his journal right that's one of the things it's like yeah you don't have the pain but you don't have anything you're shedding years of your life you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But at any rate, that night they have their first date on the Frozen Charles. We're really quickly going through this kind of like initial meeting between them. Joel drives her home the next morning to Clem's house and she goes to grab her toothbrush. Intro, like the first weird part where you start to like see what the fuck's going on or not see what's going on. But you're like, something's not all right here. Something's fucking weird. Elijah Wood, Patrick, we don't know him yet, shows up, knocks on his door. It's like, who are you? What are you doing here? And he's like, I don't really understand what you're talking about. And he's like, oh, okay, thanks. So weird. Yeah, don't understand what's going on. Immediately cut to Joel bawling in his car with the credits with Bex. Everybody's got to learn sometime. Now we have the opening credits. I can see how people who are not with patience are just going to be like, what the fuck is going on? People who are not patients in a psych ward. People (laughs) who are. (laughs) Correct. That as well. Yes. Yeah. You're you're getting jostled. It's only in hindsight that you understand what's going on. So what's happening here is he's he's just about to get the procedure done. He's driving back from Lacuna and he's having a fucking breakdown. He's mm-hmm. being trailed by the a van back to his apartment. He has a conversation with his neighbor who talks a little bit about Clementine. Goes upstairs, takes some pills, falls asleep. And Patrick and Stan uh, start unloading the car and walking in the door. As soon as he passes out, they like, break into his apartment but i guess it's like they're allowed to break in because it's just part of it's part of the procedure he gave him the keys and it is just strange though that you're not supposed to like have a conversation and like let him up you know i don't know their whole procedure is fucked like janky not that i mean not the procedure itself that's that is fucked but like the way they're the decorum yes not a professional operation it's a mom and pop operation i get the feeling like that there's like questionable legality here oh definitely they're like having sex on top of his passed out body yes yeah the whole (laughs) thing is very rinky dink yeah i feel like it would like feel so much better if they were just like we're coming into your home we'll like show you the equipment right. here you like lay down take this pill we'll like stay with you until you pass out he's literally like face down into his carpet like he could have just busted his whole face open <laughs> he could have died yeah he could have hit his head on a toilet seat end of story no memories period the like equipment is all fucked like the thing that they he wears on his head looks like a big colander like it's just like honestly not a, yeah not a very sophisticated operation but. and the whole time they're like yeah i don't know it's like not working that well it's like what's wrong with the wires what's going on it's like i don't know there's too many wires <laughs> anyway does this guy have any drugs in the house what's going oh, on or scotch yeah <laughs> yeah they just start raiding his kitchen i mean oh my god it just occurred to me why, why at the end of the movie he doesn't have more scotch yes <laughs> and he's like i thought there was more because mary drank all of it oh god <laughs> yeah, lots of stuff like yeah. that so from here on now we start to move backward in time mm-hmm. the first thing is his conversation with his neighbor what they're doing is they're erasing from the last moment that he knows about clementine all the way to the first and it's a little bit different because you need to kind of like run through memories in forward motion Mm, right but go backwards through the memory so it's it's a little bit strange it's like walking on a moving sidewalk that's going the opposite way that you're walking in little segments yeah put that in your music video bitch <laughs> yeah idiot <laughs> <laughs> so yeah now we have some other great actors character actors that who come into play that are joel's friends which are david cross and jane adams uh who essentially trying to deal with this breakup and not tell him about the procedure because they got this little card that said Clementine Krasinski is erasing Joel Barish, never talked about their relationship again, which seems 
Like, how could that work? How do you just, I, I mean, yeah, how do you just get people to sign off on that kind of thing? Yeah, because all they have to be is like, no. Unless this was like a very well-known procedure, like just a normal part of life, which it is not, does not, not appear to be. Nobody mm-hmm. knows that this is a thing, but they just got this card in the mail and they were just kind of like, yeah, tough luck, buddy. Like, Oof. Yeah. <laughs> They're not just like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Because then they could never talk about any, they have to like keep in mind. Okay, but we can't talk about any memory with Clementine. Like, oof, that's got to be tough. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask of strange, you know, people who have no, did not opt into this whatsoever. Or receive any benefit. It's just like a little business card. Yeah. But uh, Rob pretty much shows him what happened. He's like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, I don't know. It's a place that does a thing. So he goes to this place called Lacuna. Matata. Um, Lacuna Matata. Um <laughs> Lacuna meaning, I looked it up, it means an unfilled space. So that's interesting. Mm, and Matata meaning uh, no, no worries <laughs> for the rest of your days. So an unfilled space, no worries. I mean, really, once you remove bad memories, you have no worries for the rest of your days. That is the main theme here. Eternal sunshine is the mind. Or it, translated into other cultures, it's a kuna matata. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> Thanks for the fun fact. Yeah. Unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he meets Mary, the receptionist, who is Kirsten Dunst. Um, he towered the kind of mind behind uh, this whole this whole business and this whole procedure. He explains it's kind of like brain damage. You remo- remove the memories from the brain. And apparently they've done this with mice recently. I don't know. What? I don't oh, know. No. It was one of those things where I just read the headline and I was like, Stop I'll Stop making that. movies real, you guys. Yeah. We don't need forgetful mice and real dinosaurs. Just give it a break. We will be selling our merch. It's a red hat that says, keep movies not real. And that'll be <laughs> like one of our main sellers. Keep movies fake. Yeah. <laughs> Make movies fake Make again. Make movies fake again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would sell like a hotcake. I think so too. So he goes back to his apartment. He has to collect the things that remind him of Clementine. And the procedure is they kind of introduce each new item and he kind of reacts to it. They map his brain and scan how he reacts to those memories. And it shows them, I guess, what they need to look, kind of like pulverize. While this, this procedure is happening to him, while they're like mapping everything this kind of like red film starts appearing it's like kind of like a high frequency error of the video and it's patrick and stan like in his apartment erasing his memory and like you know bumping into shit and now you're realizing like oh the things i'm watching are in reverse chronological order and they're being erased so everything i've watched so far he will never never have a memory of Mm -hmm. you know i don't know when you start to realize that right yes because we're witnessing things one way (laughs) he's witnessing them the he's unwitnessing them <laughs> yes <laughs> in the order that we're witnessing them unwitnessing what a mind fuck yeah um yeah i hadn't thought about that that like once we go to the next scene he no longer remembers the prior scene yep or if he does he does not remember her being there her being part of it yeah or anything about i mean there's times later where he can re-enter memories that have already been erased but uh, I know in the in the screenplay, Charlie Kaufman would reference like the husks of memories. So like mm. he can go back into Mirzwiak's office and see him, but like it's really dark, and like Mirzwiak doesn't have any like uh, yeah, Howard no doesn't have any features. like facial features. So like yeah, ugh, I hated that. 
there's still something going on there, but like everything, all the specifics have been stripped of Blurred. it. I guess. It's like when you wake up from a dream, like an hour later, you like try yes. to remember it and it's like just kind of out of reach. I hate that. Sometimes I remember them again slightly as I'm like going to sleep again that night and I'm like, oh, dream town, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> Say that to myself quietly and my husband's like, excuse me. I do that a lot. What? what? <laughs> dream town, what up? Oh, man, when it's a good dream. Yeah, let me cozy back in there. Crawl back into the dream womb. <laughs> dream town, what up? Anyway. Anyway, this is the next memory that we've got, which is like the last time that Joel sees Clementine. She mm-hmm. comes in drunk. She's like in your warming little mind. You're trying to figure out, did she fuck someone tonight? Joel says, no, Clem, I assume you fuck someone tonight isn't how you get people to like you. And she kind of storms out. <laughs> He runs through the apartment trying to get her. And this is where they're deploying fake doors and double actors. So he runs into the bathroom right. to try to get her. She's not there. Kate Winslet has gone into a trap door that filters back out to the kitchen where the, he then sees her. He follows her out of the kitchen and a double of herself is walking out of the, the front door. Oh, sick. It's very cool. That's so cool. And the timing has like... You know, the amount of takes it has to take where it's like people are scrambling. Right, that would be so easily done in post. Yes. But they just were like, nah, nah, nah. son. Nah, fuck that. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's more theatrical that way. It's great. It's the magic of movies. That's right. Fucking... And I would imagine like way more fulfilling for the actor to like Absolutely. feel that kind of like discombobulation in real time as opposed to like, all right, take a step cut take another step cut but like maintain this level of emotional intensity it's like really fucking hard for sure it's like Ian. there's that story about ian mckellen when he was filming the hobbit and he's like in front of a green screen trying to like pretend like he's fighting smog and he like just breaks down crying and he's like this isn't why i got into acting right right no i think there are probably so many things this first watch that like i didn't even notice like i think there there's Little details that I caught onto that I really appreciated. And I bet once I realized that was the kind of little subtle things they were doing, like I bet there's just a thousand more. It's super rewarding every time you watch it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So back at the apartment with Patrick and Stan, they're doing the procedure. Patrick tells Stan that he's been seeing someone they did a couple weeks ago. So Fucking they did the procedure God. on Clementine. He stole a pair of her panties. He steals Several. Joel's. Several pairs of panties. They were clean. As if that makes it better. That makes it better. He took all of Joel's, like uh, his diary and everything, and he's using it to have Clementine fall in love with him, mm-hmm. which is Ew. slimy. He's such a sniveling little ferret in this movie. Yes. I really can't with him. Ugh. So basically, like, Kirsten Dunst is kind of hooking up with Mark mm-hmm. Ruffalo, and then Patrick's just there. They're all drinking. They're like taking their clothes off and dancing like they're having a great time they're like so weird i don't know why this is going horrifically wrong i mean seemingly this is the first time this has ever happened so i guess they could just get drunk and high and like have sex and on top of the people and it just doesn't matter yeah i would imagine too like they gotta be making pretty good money i think so I think you'd pay a lot of money. There's a lot of deleted scenes in this movie, some of which are about other ways that Lacuna is being used, like a war veteran who is trying to forget about memories from the war. You know, it's not just like relationships. So I feel like people would pay anything for something like that. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Forget the haunting memories of their past. Memories of a haunting? Yeah. Oh, a haunting memory. A haunting memory. Yeah. What did you think I said? I thought you meant like when you talk about like seeing a ghost. It could get rid of ghosts. <laughs> I mean, there's no way we'll ever have that technology because the ghosts are too powerful. All right. Well, what if it was just like I saw a ghost this one time? I don't really want to remember seeing that ghost. There you go. But it doesn't mm-hmm. get rid of the ghost in question. It just gets the, rid of the, the memory of there. the ghost. Yeah. The ghost I think we can all back. agree on that. <laughs> You'll be like, I feel like I've seen this ghost before. And then you just start yeah. making out. <laughs> yeah. Then you get back into a toxic relationship with it. <laughs> a la Casper. Yeah. I got to say, or you friends own it, a la Casper. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, like looking back at the memories of their relationship, and I get it. Like we've all been there where we come out of a breakup and we... It's like Roger said in his review, it's really easy to romanticize all the good parts of it and like the Mm -hmm. things that you miss and kind of forget about like that's interesting how memory works that way, right? We like forget, suppress and like forget about all the bad shit. But all the memories of them together are like shitty. Like they're just like them fighting, them not really like feeling fulfilled, her being kind of fucking annoying and him being over it and like really closed off to her. Like, neither one of them really getting what they need. And I'm kind of just like, why are we forcing this relationship? That's clearly not that good. Like, even just because you love somebody doesn't mean you're in a good relationship with them. For sure. I mean, I think that this is also the interesting way of doing everything backwards. And it has to do with Clementine's hair, too. Uh Uh, She's got green, red, blue. So we've got... An orange, right. So green is the beginning of the relationship. It's spring. Red is summer. It's the best part of the relationship. Blue, things turn icy. Orange, shit's like fucked up. So we're going from like, we're starting with the most fucked up, going from like, shit's not that great. Then once we start getting into red, that's the first time that Joel is starting to be like, no, I don't want this. Like, I want to hold on to this one memory. Yeah, that's true. He goes back to the beginning of the relationship where things were better. And so he's like, is falling in love with that part of it. Yes, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. And it is somehow, it is kind of like how you are, at least for me, like how you think about a relationship too. Things don't happen chronologically when you're thinking about it. That's true. It happens in colors, in those colors. Yeah, and there's a lot of like, how did we end up here? Right, right. From like where we started. Yeah, I think by the end, it kind of proves why they are together and the things that they love about one another. But it, it isn't... They she certainly gets less annoying. Like in the early... Like when she... So yeah, they're they're getting they're going backwards into some better memories. Clementine is nicer to be around. Yeah. She's just a little bit more mellowed out, I think. And he is starting to want to hold on to these memories and he's like changing his mind. He doesn't want to go through with it. And as soon as he makes that decision, Clementine kind of like I mean, the way Raj described it was like she hops the rails. Like she suddenly becomes like an act I mean, it's still his brain. It's still like a him right. in his brain. But she is now kind of like on his team and they're like actively talking about what's actually happening here. They go from real memories to just like them kind of running through the memories and trying to he's trying to hide her from being erased. And she's like on board with it. They're like conspiring together. Yes. And when she is him, like when she is his subconscious coming through as Clem, 
that's like the only time in this movie that I found her like bearable. Well, that is one question I had. Like, you know, when when he goes back to see Howard and he's asking him questions, Howard's like, how could I know that I am you? You know, I am just right. a, a version of myself that you remember. So within each memory, I think you still need to like work within the rules of the memory. It is some version of Clem- Clementine that he knows. It might be the best version of herself. Sure. But it is like now they're conspiratorial. Now yeah. they're like and he's like hiding her and his deepest memories, like his childhood memories, his teenage memories, and his shame. All of these things. That's an interesting thing too, where it's yeah. like to try to run away from the process. I need to go as deep as possible. I need to go into my shame, the thing that's like really, really deep. The thing that I bury down. Yeah, and then she like <laughs> just becomes kind of a character within that memory. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he kind of starts to open up to her, presumably in a way that he never actually did when they were together, you know. Yeah, she really like gets to know the real him, a.k.a. kid who smashes bird with hammer. Kid who smashes bird with hammer. Yeah. And even in that memory, you, you kind of get the sense they have rules. Like he wants to beat up the bully, but that's not part of the rule. Right. He gets fucked up by the bully again because that's not how Even the memory the bully works. is like five years old. Yes. Yes, it's true. Or he's like a baby and he's under his mom's kitchen table and, and wanting his mom and all of these things. Yeah, there's like the, the deeper we go into his memories, the more we get glimpses into him and how he's sort of, yeah, morphing Clem within those memories. Mm-hmm. And also... I feel like this is so 2004 to be like, oh my God, this is like so like endearing and weird and quirky. Like we pretend to smother each other with pillows and murder each other. Right. But yeah, basically though, when whenever he buries her into like a deeper level, they lose track of him in the technology. Right. So if he can, if they can run away until morning, maybe he can wake up and he could go to Clementine, tell him about their relationship and start over again. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to note, because this is something, again, that Raj talked about. We have all these like side characters, like these supporting characters and things that are like going on with them on the outside that like seemingly aren't as important. I guess they're not as important, but he kind of referred to it as like, like a Shakespeare play works. Like in cl- mm-hmm. like classically in Shakespeare, you obviously have like the two main characters, but then like you have all of these little subplots happening because you really can't, nobody has the patience to just watch these two characters go through what they're going through for three straight acts. Like you need these it's little- exhausting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you need these little subplots happening. And I honestly, like, the whole Kirsten Dunst subplot I thought was one of the most powerful parts of the movie. Yeah, let's get to that. I mean, I think that that's where we can... Yeah, definitely. Of, like, after they've they, we've got this whole r- runaround. The techs are like, oh, fuck, this isn't working. We need to call our boss, wake him up in the middle of the night to get over here so that he can... And let's make it look like we weren't just partying all over this man's body. Right. They clean it up. They're super high. Kirsten Dunst is going to make her move on Howard. She starts to quote poems from him, from Bartlett's or sayings, you know, from from plays. And this mm-hmm. is where the poem, Eternal Sunshine of the Mind is, or it's not a poem, but it's, you know, the quote of it. And it's, how happy is the blameless vessel's lot, the world forgetting by the world forgot, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. And this is where you get the distillation of like the whole plot Mm -hmm. if we were to break it down a vestal is like a virgin a chaste unmarried woman Mm -hmm. hiding them away in a convent uh the world forgets them they forget the world they are able to live with a spotless like kind of cheery disposition but they they don't have anything else like right that is supposed to be ignorance is bliss but the irony of it 
is palpable at this point because you realize that that is not true through uh, Joel and Clementine's character, and it's particularly not true with what happens next with yeah. Mary. Poor Mary. Poor, poor Mary. She's poor sweet Mary. She just like tells him that she's like been in love with him for a very long time and she kisses him and he's like we can't do this I have a wife and a family you know that I really did not see this coming like in terms of what ends up happening it's a good twist it's such a good twist like they kiss a little bit and literally in that moment like the wife his wife comes driving up and can see them through the window so she's trying to explain to Horace, his wife, like, you don't understand. It was just a mistake. And she's like, you poor girl. You could have him like you did. And I would assume some part of the audience is like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. I was. I was like, <gasps> like, I knew the twist that the beginning was the end. Like, I could just tell. Right. But this I did not see coming at all. And I was just like, oh, it's so good it's because it needs to happen for the end to work too because Mary needs to send everyone the tapes. Yes, yes, yes. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. Poor contrary Mary. She realizes that she had Howard wiped from her brain or not even really that. Howard kind of pressured her into having their relationship wiped and she yeah, is they had a fucking whole affair. devastated. Yeah. She goes through the office and finds her tapes of her talking about him. Which has just got to be the craziest experience ever. To hear yourself talking on a tape. About how much you love someone. Like talking about someone who you are absolutely in love with as their peer, as their lover, about your relationship mm-hmm. that you've had. It makes me think a lot about like, I think, <laughs> stick with me here. Keep um, going. I think a lot about like past lives and Mm -hmm. like past life connections and people that we've known like sometimes you just you meet somebody and you're like god i feel like this crazy connection to this person i don't know why like it's this crazy thing and a lot of times i'm like how would it how could it not be you know potentially like a past life thing and this is sort of a similar thing like even though the memories are gone the emotions are still there and so but to then have the evidence behind it, you know, like yeah. I'm sure this poor girl's been racking her brain, like, oh my god, why am I so in love with this man? And now, like, she knows exactly why. She hears it all, like, it, it, you know, it's all there. It's also slimy because Howard has the upper hand too. He knows about their relationship. He knows that Mary loves him mm-hmm. and is trying her best not to, and doesn't remember the relationship. And he's like, you could still be a receptionist. And I really like how how much you're in love with me. <sighs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Scumbag. He sucks. We're really running out of memories at this point. So it's kind of Joel and Clem playing out their favorite memories with one another. So mm-hmm. he runs into her at the bookstore. He's confronting her after he left her at the beach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, books are losing their titles, like the memories falling apart. They're kind of like going through the lines because both of them, Joel and Joel's subconscious interpretation of clementine you know they don't want to just keep like talking to one another pretend the memory is not happening they're like Mm -hmm. reciting the lines to one another because this is so important and like commentating on them yeah she's like i had you pegged didn't i it's like you had the whole world pegged so they're able to like look at these memories and kind of go through them together you had the whole world pegged. (laughs) so so 2004 so 2004 that energy that vibe that like poetic kind of like uh, like it's just not sustainable like at a certain (laughs) point like those same two people are gonna have to be like babe can you bring me some toilet paper and then the babe just has to be like 
what? And then. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because like at this point, though, it's believable because they're running out of time. They don't need to pretend like it's going to be sustainable. No, there's no there's no future is seemingly um, only the past that is running up, running out. So they could be as dramatic and now say whatever they want. Now is the time. Get quotable. Do it. Get quotable. I like that too. T-shirt. Get quotable. Get quotable. Um, All right. Yeah. So then we we get to their like the first time that they met. First time they met, beach party. Naomi, his girlfriend, can't join. He goes with Robin Carey to the beach party. Him and Clementine meet one another because they're kind of like outcasts. Uh, and again, like Joel is kind of like narrating to her as she is speaking the lines in his memory. She takes a piece of chicken off his plate. He's like, and then he just took it. it was so intimate. Like we were already lovers. And so he's able to kind of like go through this thing and be more open with her than he was in their whole relationship, telling her what he thought about her. Yeah. And also like it turns out, which I didn't realize up until then, like he was basically engaged to somebody else, like was living with another woman. So like not only is he engaging with this batshit woman, he probably is a perfectly normal girl at home. It's not like, you know, you to me, initially I was just like, oh, he's like such a lonely guy and life is boring and like this girl comes along. But like he probably had a great lady sitting at home. That's an interesting part because they cast Ellen Pompeo as <gasps> Naomi and had a bunch of scenes with her as this kind of like counterpart to Clementine. Sturdy, sane-minded person. And when they cut it together, it just made Joel seem like a fucking asshole. Like yeah. when he comes back from Clementine's the first night, he has to call Naomi first before he calls Clementine. And it just puts everything in such a different view. Yikes. Yeah. It's like a weird footnote that they're like, I was like, wait, what? He's, what? He's what? living with somebody else. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of fucked up. But I mean, Hey, she had weird hair and an ugly sweatshirt, so... It's really nice stuff. How do you pass that up? Also, another fun thing is Jim Carrey just broke up with Renee Zellweger, and he was absolutely heartbroken for this movie. And Jim Carrey said that he thought Michelle Gondry cast Alan Pompeo because they look exactly the same, and he wanted to get that from him. Ooh, that's so fucked up, but clever. Michelle Gondry apparently said to him, like, you're so broken right now. Like, don't change it. You're perfect or something like that. Oh, God. He liked that about him. Effective, but shitty. Effective, but shitty. Yeah. Yeah. So at any rate, they break into this house, essentially, at someone else's house. And Joel runs back to the fire and away from Clementine. And that's it. Well, first, they're kind of talking about, like, yeah, like, why did I leave? Yeah, why did you leave? Like, you shouldn't have left. And no, I shouldn't have. Like, maybe this time you shouldn't. Like, let's change. And he's like, there's no more memory left. Like, I can't. What if you stayed this time? Change what happened. Yeah, yeah. What if you stayed this time? I love the way as the memory is being destroyed, like this whole house is kind of breaking apart and seawater is coming through and sand. and My favorite part. Like, it's just, oh, my God. And, like, I, the score in this film is fucking It's beautiful. John Bryan. Yeah. Oh my God, it's fucking stunning. And everything's in the dark, but certain things are lit up. And he like goes, turns around to like say goodbye to her. Pretend we had one. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that also really gets me. 
Like all yeah. of this, the way that they're talking about things, it's not something that anyone's ever gone through because this doesn't exist, but it's somehow relatable to memory and, and regret and relationships in general. Yeah, and I think there are probably a lot of stories that are not this exactly, but the same sentiment of like right. two people being like, for whatever reason, we can't be together and we're like trying to dodge it, but it's kind of inescapable. Right. But yeah, he like goes back to say goodbye to her and she whispers to him, meet me in Montauk. Meet me in Montauk. Yeah. It's it's weird too, because like all these things, like Jazz was saying before, like the house is crumbling and like there's water all around. It's happened a bunch of times where he kind of like wakes up and his bed is in the sand and On it's the, the ocean. Mm-hmm. I love how they don't have Joel play like what the fuck is going on here? He kind of just like fiddles with everything. Like he kind of understands what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's not reality. Well, it's like, yeah, it's like it's your subconscious. It's the same way where like in our dreams, we're not like, what? Why am I naked in the cafeteria? I mean, right. we are like not thrilled about it. Or we are. But we're not just we're, we're not just like, why am I in my high school cafeteria? That makes no sense. It's just like, that's just where you are. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of like, very deep thinking about how memories how memories work Mm -hmm. so now he runs back to the fire he's on his way back this is really my favorite scene though uh he's in the car he's going through he's passing by almost like in a highway all the kind of different rooms of all their memories together Mm -hmm. and this to me is like the most accurate representation of how you remember things Mm -hmm. it's like i heard you were talking to someone at the fire it's like who was it it's like just some girl beep and it's the last memories erased so that's gone now mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. finish up the procedure meanwhile mary is ready to burn this whole thing to the ground yeah burn this motherfucker down dude we snap back to where we left off at the beginning of the film where he's like waiting for her outside of her apartment and she comes back with mail and she's got like this package from lacuna with basically a letter from mary kind of like exposing everything with the tapes so she sent she stolen all the tapes and sent them back to the people to like make them remember again what they tried to forget which for some people is probably a little fucked up i know (laughs) they're like i paid good money to not remember this she's emotional she's self-righteous you know she doesn't believe in this whole thing right they seemingly like just met the day before right in this version of reality but she just like plays this tape in front of him which i was like ballsy move but basically it's like her talking about all the things she hated about Joel and he's just like are you fucking with me right now and she's which it's a pretty fucked up joke but also hilarious. it's a fucked up joke but I I would do the same thing there's no other explanation she just gets a cassette tape in the mail and it's like her talking shit about him and yeah so that's intense he like kicks her out of the car but then she finds his apartment and he's also gotten his tape from Mary and it's playing all this horrible shit that he's saying about Clementine. He also finds a painting that he did behind like a dresser of her and her red hair. They're Mm -hmm. both realizing what's going on. But in their playing of the tape, he's like, you know, and the hair, it's so fucked up. Like it's it's the worst things you could think about someone. Yeah, she's so insecure. She has no confidence. She does everything as a show. And again, like she just fucks people to get them to like her. And she storms out because it's too much. But Joel chases her down the hallway and asks her to just wait. A little while. It's like, wait for what? It's like, I don't know, just a while. And they uh-huh. start to say, you know, we're going to do this over and over again. And he's like, okay. And that's the last line. We see them, the same shot repeated over and over again about them chasing each other down the beach. And mm-hmm. presumably they just do this over and over again. It is so spot on to that. Like when you have somebody that you love, but it's just not working. There's just mm-hmm. certain hurdles that you can't get over. 
but you still love each other. And so neither one of you wants to walk away. And you're just like, well, this is what's fucked up about this. Well, this is how I'm going to feel. And it's just like, okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, there's no answer to it. It just is. There's no answer to it. And it's also like a chess match. You could be like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play this. You're going to play that. Like we know where checkmate's going to come, but. It nets out the same every time. But like we could like put it off for a little bit longer while we're also still like dying inside. (laughs) But yeah, there's there's really no like resolution, um, which I think is very fitting. Like, I don't know how the fuck you would you would do that with this film Mm -hmm. Um, unless you were just like, well, we realized this didn't work out. So let's not do it again. Yeah, that, that was one ending. They had a couple alternate endings. One of them was Joel drops her off after being freaked out. And that's it. And I hate that ending. I was wondering if that if it was just going to end right there, but they just kind of left it open. I like it. I mean, I, I think that's the only way to do it. I mean, the I think yeah. the thesis of the movie, it's there's certainly multiple ways to interpret it, but it's it's got to be about erasing the painful things. It's not what you think it is. It's like inside out, you know, like mm-hmm. the pain of things is a necessary part and it makes the things that are beautiful, more beautiful. And it's also part of those memories, you know, the animated film Inside Out, by the way. <laughs> I don't know. If anyone... I got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you want to uh, rate this thing and then summate this thing? I would love to do both of those things. I had an interesting experience with this movie because I don't think I realized how much I like it until after it was done and I had some time to think about it. Because during... <laughs> I think I was just like too annoyed by some of the characters. Like I didn't sure. like a lot of the characters in the movie. So it, it's like hard to empathize with characters that you don't like sometimes. Like I was just like, ugh, this girl is too much. She's doing too much. But like <laughs> when you look at this movie from like a from a technical standpoint, like a directorial standpoint, an effects standpoint, like just everything about it is done so well and so creatively. It's like they left no rock unturned. Mm-hmm. The narrative is pretty genius. Like, but again, it's the type of thing where like you don't even fully get this movie when it ends. Like you need to, this is the type of movie where you need to talk to somebody about it afterwards. Like there's For so sure. many things that I was only realizing as I was saying them to you. Right. Um, right. Or hearing you say them. It's just like the gift that keeps on giving this film. And I feel like the second or third watch is like you just get something more out of it every time. Absolutely. So I respect the hell out of this film. And it did not depress me the way I worried that it would. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I will give this movie 8.9 colander helmets. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you like it. God, that makes me so happy. Um. Well, this is my favorite movie ever. Um, <laughs> I just love it so much. You know, it, it's really rare to see such an original screenplay get handled with such an original way of filming something. The performances were unbelievable. Um, and I love the sentiment. Like, it's just a really great plot. I, I love the feeling of looking back at a relationship. And, you know, you can come away from this feeling really terrible, really, or really good. You know, yeah. it's it could be either way. It really depends on where you are approaching where you are the movie. In your yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could make you feel like shit sucks sometimes and like you want to get that shit out of there. But yeah. it's also it makes you feel like a lot of the things that you might be annoyed with or or feel like you're at the end of your rope or part of some longer story that is necessary for your own your own memories and your own kind of building up your yourself and, and how you see the world. 
I could go on forever. So I'm just going to give this movie 10 out of 10 blue ruins. Wow. Yeah. That was so 2004. Yeah. I'm so 2004. What's that song? You're so 2000. You're so 2000. I'm so, I'm so 2008. You're so 2000 and late. Yeah. Boom, boom, pow. Black Fuck eyed peas. Yeah. I'm so 2008. <laughs> like when? So 2004. You're so 2004 boring that's what i say nice sometimes really good solid work thanks see you just wrapped on the podcast yeah if you don't know what we're talking about go back and listen to our episode on scream where we witness daniel or, or skip it a no. full-on panic attack well, no, i'll just no. skip that episode we'll go, go back you'll like another it. one um thank you everyone for listening hopefully if you are a fan of this movie then you appreciate the heart and respect and reverence we held for it on this episode supposed to making a bunch of fart jokes as usual i feel spent (laughs) and i'm spent if you love the podcast please leave us a review share it with your friends share it with people of influence share it all over the place we're trying to take this show on the road, baby. And thank you so much for letting us share these movies with you, too, because it feels good to do that. Share movies that you, we really We like. need somebody to listen to us. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, thanks for validating Dan and his favorite movie. Yes. Until next week. It's been great Long having week. you here. <sighs> what are you just saying? <laughs> I was trying to come in. It's been one week. And until next week, it's been all <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later Later days. days.